0: The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. So, the last couple of weeks, we've spent a little time with a couple of suttas. Last week, it was the sutta in which um, there seemed to be a turning point in the Buddha's life when he saw how intoxication with health, intoxication with youth, and intoxication with life itself were connected to suffering. And the prior week, we talked a little bit about the destruction of the defilements and how they could, that could be accomplished by seeing, restraining the sense doors, using things for only what is needed, enduring things over which we have no control, avoiding dangers that we can avoid, removing unwholesome thoughts, and developing awareness, mindfulness itself. So, in working with these suttas, we keep coming back to this centrality of the practice of mindfulness or awareness itself as our gateway to these kinds of insights in our own lives. Uh, as we practice over the days, months, and years, we begin to see more deeply into our own dissatisfaction, suffering, stress, and we start to see what's underneath that. As we see what's underneath, sometimes choice opens up, and we have a moment where we see that we could either go down the same old path that leads to unhappiness. Or we could choose a wiser, more wholesome approach. For example, if we thought of our meditation sittings as good or bad, that just has us riding a roller coaster of emotion where we're pleased and then displeased with ourselves. Uh, Once we get beyond that and realize that everything awareness touches is important to be known, be seen, we may stop getting caught up in uh, the reactivity to, for example, unpleasant things that arise and instead start to realize, wow, awareness has seen that. And without reactivity, or it's seen both the unwholesomeness and the reactivity, and we can either appreciate the wisdom of that, the seeing of that, Or we can sometimes make different choices if necessary, if it's really a tough one. We can at least explore the pattern that gets its hooks into us and over time gain some insight about it. Perhaps it's easier to start to release or let go of the more obvious forms of clinging to sense pleasures or to views, although those can be challenging. Uh, Maybe it's a little harder to release some forms of the self that tell us that some characteristic relationship or experience is permanently I, me, or mine. Um, Self-views and identifications have so many tentacles and such subtlety at times that we need to gain experience, witnessing it with awareness again and again, before we're able to loosen and release these fixed ideas about ourselves and change some of the tenacious ways of thinking, speaking, or behaving that might be causing us problems. Fortunately, uh, Sayadaw Utejaniya reminds us that we have five potentials that lead in the direction of wholesomeness. He writes... The very qualities that are working to do meditation are skillful, wholesome qualities of mind, such as confidence, energy, awareness, stability of mind, and wisdom. So at the very least, these qualities of mind are always being cultivated. These wholesome qualities of mind that he cites, confidence, energy, awareness, stability of mind, and wisdom, are called the five spiritual faculties, or sometimes just the five faculties. And they can be developed to the degree that they become the five strengths. They're capacities or favorable conditions that we can nurture in ourselves, and they powerfully support the unfolding towards freedom from suffering. Different Buddhist scholars and teachers translate them slightly differently. And I always find that really interesting. Bhikkhu Bodhi translates the five faculties as faith, where Sayadaw has it as confidence, energy. They both see the same way. Mindfulness, where Sayadaw has it as awareness. And I always use those two um, synonymously. So mindfulness, awareness, to me, Not every teacher sees them that way, but to me, same thing. Concentration, Bhikkhu Bodhi says, where Sayadaw says stability of mind. And then they both have wisdom as the same word. So I I like the varied translations because they may give us different ways to access what is being meant here. Um, So Bhikkhu Bodhi shares the term indriya, which is the Pali for faculties, applied to this group as a whole, is derived from the name of the ancient Vedic god Indra, ruler of the devas, and the term accordingly suggests divine-like quality of control and dominion. The five faculties are designated this way because they exercise control in their own specific compartments of the spiritual life as the god Indra vanquished the demons and attained supremacy among the gods. So each of the five faculties is called upon to subdue a particular, and he says mental disability, and to marshal the correspondent potency of mind towards the breakthrough to final enlightenment. Um, Later, he uses the word defilements instead of mental disability. I think that's probably more useful for us. Uh, In contemporary times, Uh, I find defilements useful because I know what that means in Buddhism. It means greed, aversion, sloth and torpor, restlessness and remorse, and doubt. Really clear. So we know this. We're not free of suffering when we're caught in greed, having to have things a certain way. We're not free of stress when we're caught in aversion, wishing something were different than it is, resisting experience, or hating a certain situation. That's not freedom. We're not free of dissatisfaction when we feel too sluggish or dull to pay attention fully. Usually later we feel like, oh, you know, bad meditation. Um, And we're not free of suffering when we're restless. We want to get up from the meditation and take care of something else or we're mentally jumping around between lots of mental distractions. And we're not free of suffering when we're filled with doubt about ourselves, about whether we can really succeed in this practice. So when these hindrances arise, it can certainly feel like the opposite of having an ability to be aware and free from stress, dissatisfaction, suffering. But Bhikkhu Bodhi reports that these five faculties coordinate and channel our energy towards inner control of the defilements, quote, as long as we live and act under their dominion, we're not our own masters, but passive pawns driven by our blind desires into courses of conduct that promise fulfillment, but in the end lead only to misery and bondage. True freedom necessarily involves the attainment of inner autonomy, the strength to withstand the pushes and pulls of our appetites, and this is accomplished precisely by the development of the five spiritual faculties. And just in case we're worried that, oh no, here's another skill I have to master, he says, the qualities that exercise the function of faculties are of humble origin appearing initially in mundane roles in the course of our everyday lives. In these humble guises, they manifest as trustful confidence in higher values, as vigorous effort towards the good, as attentive awareness, as focused concentration, and as intelligent understanding. So we've done that. Have you ever felt like a meditation session or your life as a whole were being driven over and over again by old habits that aren't working for you? That's what Bhikkhu Bodhi is calling dark forces holding you in subjection, like a passive pawn in misery and bondage. But by contrast, we have these native inner strengths, these natural faculties that Uh, help us gain independence from those habits that are pushing us around. So looking at some examples of habits that push us around, I'm sure we each have a long list, but we could go through each of the five faculties to help us work through them. So one, we we can get so attached to comfort that we're miserable if it isn't available. So air conditioning, delicious food, Pretty nice places to live and to travel. Entertainment. We enjoy relative safety on the streets. The availability of clean water in most communities, not all. Indoor plumbing. <laughs> I grew to appreciate that when I was on my recent retreat outdoors and the teacher said, well, you can just go anywhere. <laughs> I thought, okay, I don't want to drink any water. I don't want to go. <laughs> so I was attached to the comfort of indoor plumbing. Um, and of course, we, we have a wide variety of foods. And not everybody in the world has these things I just listed, which are really, we're very fortunate. We're, these are big luxuries. And yet, some of us are working so hard to afford This kind of life, or we did before we retired, that we didn't give ourselves enough time to enjoy each other, maybe to enjoy life itself. Second, um, defilement. We can be so depleted by our struggles with aversive reactions towards unpleasant situations that we give in to addictive habits to try and cope with stress, whether that's binge watching TV or overindulging in whatever, or we find ourselves in extremes of emotion. Very, you know, aversive in nature. Third, we may swing between being too busy and overdoing and collapsing into sluggishness because we're overtired, overstressed, sleep deprived, so that sloth and torpor can commonly come into modern life. Or maybe we feel restless and it makes sitting practice sometimes difficult or keeps us running from one thought to another, one activity to another. And then finally, doubt. We doubt our own abilities to free ourselves from the rut of bad habits or feeling trapped. Sometimes we can get, you know, we can start to question our practice in that way. Like, really, I'm doing the same thing again and I'm still not happy with this? So how can we work with these and other habits that push us around using these five faculties? Well, I'll say we, everybody here, I think, already has the beginnings of the five faculties and probably more than just the beginnings. So um, as Bhikkhu Bodhi points out, these are available initially in ordinary everyday life and play ordinary roles. So for example, we'd have trustful confidence in higher values. We probably wouldn't show up for Buddhist practice we didn't have that. We have vigorous effort to the good. Everybody just sat here for a whole half hour and is still sitting here making some level of effort. We have attentive awareness. There was awareness at least part of the time that you were meditating, maybe quite a bit of the time. A focused concentration. I'm guessing that your mind was able to focus on some of the stuff that was coming up. And we have intelligent understanding. So taking these one at a time, you know, we have at least some faith or even some confirmed confidence that meditation and mindfulness, awareness in daily life might ultimately lead us to a better state of mind. This is why we showed up today. We also make enough effort. We apply enough energy towards these good states to keep coming back to meditation and mindfulness. Um, You paid mindful attention to what you were aware of in the body and the mind. And you can do it even as we speak with very little uh, effort here. You know how the body is. You know how the mind is at the moment. And um, you collect or have the stability of mind to notice when the mind has drifted, you know, and then come back to a more collected state And then maybe you've gained at least a little wisdom, I bet quite a lot, or intelligent understanding of yourself and the conditions you have faced in life and you are facing right now. So we can look at these five faculties one by one. Faith, not everyone relates to the word faith, by the way. Perhaps some of us in the past have been asked to are required to take some idea or someone's agenda on blind faith, where proof is somehow out of our reach and doubt is treated as if it were a personal defect. The Buddhist use of the word faith is not that kind of use because Buddhist meditation and mindfulness practice, you're invited to see things for yourself, to be the scientist of your own experience. You meditate. You listen to talks like this, and then you see for yourself whether or not it works in your own experience. One writer that I ran across said that the kind of faith we use in this practice is that we're willing and ready to fill the gaps in the evidence with an attitude of patient and trusting acceptance until we have enough experience to see it for ourselves. I've definitely done quite a lot of that. Um, we hear that we can be free from suffering, and we keep meditating towards that goal. And we find increasing degrees of freedom, like little areas or big areas where things release into better habits. So as a start, uh, we make this leap of faith. That's the phrase I like better, leap of faith, that we take to listen to Dharma talks, see if it makes sense. We try things out. Um for however long or briefly you've been at meditation, this leap of faith is the idea that it will be helpful. Um, we we think that, so we hang in until we find evidence that it is helpful. Once we see that evidence, then we have some level of what I would call confirmed confidence. Um, we see the benefits and we may even develop a conviction. Yeah, this works for sure. And trust that the practice is going to unfold in a helpful direction over time. We trust ourselves to be able to do it. So the second faculty, energy, which also, uh, it could be called effort, but it could also over time be called persistence. Um, I like the quotes from the suttas for the next four faculties. So I'm going to read from the sutta. And what is the faculty of persistence? There is the case where a monk, a disciple of the noble ones, keeps their persistence we could call that energy, aroused for abandoning unskillful mental qualities and taking on skillful mental qualities. One is steadfast, solid in one's effort. So we so with that quote, we come back to this value that we've been talking about of awareness showing. What's unwholesome states of mind versus wholesome? What's reactivity versus responsiveness? So when we see unwholesome thinking, speech, and action again and again and again, eventually we want to drop that in favor of more wholesome thinking, speech, and action. We bring not only enough energy to watch what goes on with awareness, But we start bringing persistence to keep looking to see if we can understand what's going on here um, until the unwholesome actually becomes undesirable. We we go, oh, I don't want to do that again. Or sometimes it will simply fall away on its own. At first in Buddhist practice or at times, this energy or persistence can be a lot of work. Maybe you've had that kind of sitting. Um, You you sit down and you realize the mind is jumping all over the place and you keep bringing it back, keep bringing it back, keep bringing it back. You use a lot of energy to overcome distractedness or busyness in life, even to decide you're going to sit every day. That takes a lot of energy at first. And to stick with it or come back. But as we invest this energy and persistence over time, it can come naturally and be much more easeful. And we're like, of course, I'm, I'm going to sit and, you know, we're just seeing awareness come again and again. Like, yeah, I, I'm aware right now what, how the body feels, what the mind is doing, any emotion that's present. I'm aware. And it, does, it takes so little effort, it's, it's almost elusive. It's like uh, when people first become aware of awareness, you know, like they know the mind is knowing that it's so obvious that it's hard to get (laughs) because it's really obvious, but we invest our energy and persistence. And over time it becomes natural and easeful. It frees us to actually begin to notice wholesome, unwholesome, uh, attitude of mind, and then to, um, even reinforce when we encounter a wholesome or a freer state, we can feel, ah, you know, that reinforcement. So, next awareness or mindfulness. Again, from the Sutta. And what is the faculty of mindfulness? There is the case where a disciple of the Noble Ones is mindful, is endowed with excellent proficiency in mindfulness, remembering and recollecting what was done and said a long time ago. They remain focused on the body in and of itself, ardent, alert, and having sati, the Pali word for mindfulness that seems broader than just mindfulness. Subduing greed and distress with reference to the world. One remains focused on feelings in and of themselves, the mind in and of itself. Mental qualities in and of themselves, ardent, alert, and having sati, subduing greed and distress with reference to the world. This is called the faculty of mindfulness. So after you, know, after you spend time with it, this is a really useful description of how we use awareness to recognize what's arising. When, when it says, remains focused on feelings in and of themselves, we notice the feeling. But we don't start running off in thinking about the feeling. We just, okay, feeling this right now. Or we don't give in to uh, urges so much. We are able to stay with being with the mind in and of itself, you know, being with mental qualities. Okay, there's calm, or okay, there's distractedness without running off and getting caught somewhere. Um, And so this is, we, we do this awareness without thinking, speaking, or acting in unwholesome ways, which is what is referred to as greed and distress with reference to the world. So that would be the reactivity. That would be, oh, no, I'm having this fo- thought. I'm a terrible meditator. How could I possibly be thinking right now? Or I'm, uh, my mind is really foggy. Ah, oh, that is Awful. How can it be foggy again? (laughs) You know, those are greed and distress with reference to the world. So that that's awareness. And then this next faculty of concentration, or I, I happen to love Sayadaw's translation of stability of mind. It gives you that feeling of settledness. The mind isn't being shaken up. It's not running wild. It's stable. So here's the sutta. And what is the faculty of concentration? There's the case where a disciple of the noble ones, making it one's object to let go, attains concentration, attains singleness of mind, quite secluded from sensuality, secluded from unskillful qualities. So the sutta sutta goes on then to describe development of these things called the jhanas towards stability of mind and equanimity. But what this is pointing to really is centering ourselves on the experience that's coming up right now and letting go of anything that takes us away from that. We don't need that. We can ignore things that want to take us away. And we don't have to strain, nor, by the way, do we have to attain the jhanas. So a lot of people get hung up on attaining the jhana states. But instead, we can just come back to being present with what is here and now, and the mind gets, and maybe you notice this through some meditations, maybe the one today, maybe others, that the mind starts to settle down. Like if you shake a snow globe, eventually the snow drifts down and settles on the bottom of the snow globe. The mind can do that during meditation. It gains the stability. And then if we we continue with mindfulness and awareness, sometimes we may receive what Gil calls the gift of uh, these other states of mind. Basically, a very, very still mind and the things that become apparent from that very, very still mind. So not to get hung up on that, but to notice we're centering ourselves on the experience right now and we're letting go of anything that takes us aware. Uh, excuse me, away from that when we gain stability of mind. We don't bother to, to pursue irrelevancies. Then this last faculty of wisdom, um, or I also like the translation discernment. And so here's the, the sutta. And what is the faculty of discernment? There is the case where a monk, a disciple of the noble ones, is discerning, endowed with discernment of arising and passing away, noble, penetrating, leading to the right ending of stress. One discerns as it has come to be. This is stress. This is the origin of stress. This is the cessation of stress. This is the path of practice leading to the cessation of stress. This is called the faculty of discernment. So in other words, we become able to see suffering, notice what's behind it, what's causing it. And we can start to have that lovely experience of noticing it coming to an end, even as we make different choices, like "Hmm, I'm not going to go down that road to that suffering again. I'm going to try something else. I'm going to meditate. I'm going to come back to awareness. So, Maybe you can get a taste here of these five faculties, and they tend to work together as well as individually. Their effect on uh, each other allow us to develop a kind of inner balance. So that often in this uh, teaching about the five faculties, they pair. Faith and wisdom as balancing one another so that one isn't like overly weighted in the direction of devotion or overly weighted in the direction of comprehension. They're both kind of there. The second pairing they do is energy and concentration. So it balances active exertion and calm recollection so that we're not just all activity or all so calm. We need both at times in our lives. And Above the complementary pair stands this faculty of awareness or mindfulness. It protects the mind from extremes. It ensures that each pair, uh, holds one another in kind of a mutually enriching relationship. So awareness is kind of the fulcrum around which the other faculties balance us. But, you know, that might, that might be a little, uh, abstract for now, just knowing that they weave together, and over time uh, you'll actually see how they weave together in your practice. So um, maybe you've already had quite a bit of knowledge of this, but um, I hope that those reflections are of uh, interest or some benefit to you today. I just love the idea that we naturally possess these five things already, that When we come back to meditation, come back to mindfulness, we're cultivating those towards strengths that actually, you know, and they make it really clear in these readings I've done, those lead right to liberation. So the stuff that we're born with, that we already have, will unfold us in practice gradually, gradually towards liberation if we keep at it. That, to me, is encouraging. (laughs) So I'd love to hear any comments or questions or um, anything that you are experiencing in practice related to the five faculties or otherwise. So we have time now to talk about that.